As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them uh, at one time gratifying and gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, uh, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we, even when we were dead in, our trans- dead in transgressions. Uh, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. In order that the uh, coming ages... Yeah, in order order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace uh, you have been saved through faith and it is not from from yourselves. This is not from yourselves. It is the the gift of God, not by works so that no one uh, can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then this section is about the Jew and the Gentile reconciled through Christ. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer... Let's try that again. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thank you, guys. You're amazing. Um, I'm just going to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah, we welcome your Holy Spirit. Yeah, we just bless you, Richard. Um, The Father is so proud of you. In all that you do, we just bless you right now with his wisdom and strength. We thank you, thank you, we thank God for you. And we just, yeah, would you bless the church, Jesus, to um, hear what it is that you you want to say to us today through Richard. We welcome the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Just need to set up my stall and talk a while whilst Chris sorts out the volume levels. 
I've got two sets of notes this morning. You might have to bear with me slightly. I've got the talk that I prepared on Thursday, and then I've got the one that I wrote at half past eight this morning, which pulls on some of the content of uh, the previous one. So I've got both sets of notes here, uh, and it's a little experimental. So your forbearance, please. Um, Are you going to be there the whole time? Have you got a clock? Could you be my timer? I've got 20 minutes. So give me a little nod at 10 minutes, a nudge at 5 minutes, a bigger nudge at 2 minutes. And subject to what's happening at the time, in 20 minutes you're allowed to stand up and shout, Stop! Okay? (laughs) So, that'll help me keep a bit of structure to this. Um, Robin and I, uh, sorry, the, the, the talk that I wrote this morning, I've given the title, The Thin Veil. Robin and Sophie, Demi and I went on holiday, um, came back about a week ago, we went to northern Cyprus, the Turkish part of Cyprus. And whilst we were there, we visited Nicosia. Somewhat poignantly for me, because the reason that we went to Nicosia was that I was chatting to Neil in the office before we went. And he said, if you're going to sit to Cyprus, you really must go to Nicosia, because it's the only divided city left in the world between the the Greeks and the Turkish. So because of Neil, we went to Nicosia. Um, And it was a somewhat strange experience, because I hadn't really worked it out. Um, So we had a map in our apartment um, of Nicosia. And um, so I looked at the map, and I could see how we could get into the city and where we could park and so on uh, in our hired car. And we set off. And as we were leaving the apartment, I said to Robin, oh, have you got the map of Nicosia? She said, yep, I've got it. So we set off and we drove to Nicosia. And as we're approaching the outskirts of Nicosia, I said, right, get the map out. Where are we going? And she said, I can't find it. So we stopped and I looked at the map. And I discovered that there are two maps of Nicosia. There's the Turkish map of Nicosia, which has got all the northern streets on, the one I'd been looking at that would tell me how to get into the city and park. And then there's the Greek map of Nicosia, which is the southern part of the city, which has only got the Greek side streets on, and it's just kind of got a blank, vague space saying the Turkish occupied area across it in the north. Robin, of course, had picked up the Greek one, whereas I had been looking at the Turkish one. So we found ourselves completely unaware how to get to the right place of Nicosia to, to, to be able to... What we wanted to do was to kind of look at the northern bit and then walk through, got all our passports and everything, to get through onto the Greek side, see the difference, have a look at Nicosia, have visited the only remaining, currently, divided city in the world. So we asked people. We said, can you help us? We're not quite sure. And they were looking at this map. And, of course, they were all on the Turkish side. They had no idea whatsoever of what lay a mile or two on the other side of the wall. So they were looking at this going, oh, I don't know. So we asked about four or five people, and they, to a man, because they were all men, said to us, go to the roundabout, carry straight on and turn left at the traffic lights. We were in different locations, <laughs> okay. which is a bit like a friend of mine who, when I was in the police, when he did his first day as a cadet at the age of 16, and, they, and he went to Bedlington, which is a little village in Northumberland, and they put, he was in his uniform, and they said, oh, we're a bit busy, just go wander around the streets. So he walked out of the police station on day one, and uh, um, 
and, and a motorist, a passing motorist stopped him and said, please could you tell the directions to so-and-so? Well, he lived in Newcastle and he was in Bedlington for the first time. But I'm a policeman in my uniform. So I said, yeah, go down the road here, you'll come to a little bridge, turn right, you'll go back two miles, take the sign to the left, and then they drove off very happy, but he hadn't got a clue what he'd described to them, which is a bit like our Turkish, uh, <laughs> northern Turkish friends. So we got this sense of alienation between the north and the south, and we eventually, and it took us about an hour and a half, found our way over the border in the wrong place and had to kind of walk through. And the only way we managed to do it was actually meeting a Brit in the car park who said, yeah, yeah, show me a map, I'll tell you where you are, because he knew both sides, because he went to and fro quite a lot. Um, but the real, that, although we didn't get the time that we wanted and do what we wanted in the city, what we came was a real sense of that cultural divide. And even though they're so close, the alienation between them, a thin veil... So, um, and then, of course, we're struck this week of the thin veil between life and death with Neil. And my mum is currently in a care home, in bed, unable to take solids, just eating, uh, and not always able to keep down the, uh, the soft foods that they're giving her. She can't really speak, two or three words, uh, and we just sit and hold her hand and pray with her. There's a really thin veil between where she is now and where she will be probably for too long. So, of course, in the context, that set me thinking this morning. Um, and when uh, I uh, was first given this passage to talk on, uh, Sim and I had been having a conversation about how much we do or don't talk about sin in our churches. It's not in our culture. Our culture is really talk about the glory of God and how he sees us as perfect and forgiven and whole and we can be confident in his promises, all of which is great. Uh, But this passage starts with, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And the first three verses is all about what that meant. Finishing with, we were by nature objects of wrath. Um, And you do find that the Bible talks about that Uh, the the, the alienation, as it were, from God through sin. Uh, Towards the end of his uh, earthly life, uh, in Matthew, Jesus told parables that were about, you know, the sheep and the goats, and it talks about the goats uh, were worthless and were were thrown, uh, what's the words it goes, they're cursed, eternal fire and punishment. Uh, uh, Jesus also talked, does the parable of the talents where he talks about three workers who get given some money to invest. The two that invest it do well. The one that doesn't is described as worthless and is uh, uh, described as an object of wrath and is thrown into darkness. So there's quite a lot that we don't really talk about very much in our church about the wrath of God and he describes it here as a, as a kind of death when we're separated from God. And it's a very strong message. So, I was kind of asking myself the question, have we gone a bit soft on it? Do, you know, it's a bit anti-cultural, isn't it? Counterculture to talk about nasty things like sin and death and so on. Um, and we certainly don't you know, dwell on it very much in our uh, church context. So it just got me to thinking about those things. Um, But the context in which Paul writes here is he's talking about the past. He says, as for you, you were dead in your sins. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So the context in which Paul is saying this is actually, and this, of course, is, it might be the beginning of my passage, but it's actually chapter 2. So, that, so Rodney and Sonia spoke last week about chapter 1 and about God's promises. He's just saying, that's what it was like, but now you're in life. So instead of talking about our earthly experience of going from life into death, Paul's talking about how we go from death into life. So for us, you know, we know that Neil has gone from life to life. Okay? He's in a better place. He's an amazing place. He's discovering, the, you know, what life really is like as we've gone, as he's gone from life to life. So I suppose what Paul is saying to us here is, and these are just my reflections on Ephesians rather than a theological treatise, is... Um, Here is a little warning to us, talking to Christians in a church in Ephesus, which was actually doing quite well at the time, needed later on to be warned in Revelation, but at this stage was doing quite well, saying, just remember, this is where you were, but now you're alive in Christ. And actually it's more than that, because... um, You know, God didn't kind of look on us and go, oh gosh, look at that terrible lot. I think I'm going to do something to help them. I'm going to create some means of saving them and salvation and so on. Um, Actually, what Jesus is doing when he brings us us into life is restoring us to where God, what God made for us in the very, very beginning. In verse 10, his kind of conclusion of this first part that Noah read for us was, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you think about the story of creation, what happened? In my original version, I was going to do this in a bit more detail, but just in summary, God created the earth. God created men and women in his own image, and he was pleased with what he did. The very first place where we start when we think about our relationship with God and where we think about God is that he created us to be you know, his children, to be here on earth, to live in his presence, to have real life. And he gives us the two commands, which are to steward the rest of the earth and to multiply. So that's your basic instruction in life. Work hard and make babies. Okay? So... <laughs> It's true, that's the very first instruction we get. Ten minutes, oh, that's quite good, I'm only halfway through. <laughs> yeah. so, um, uh, so God's very first purpose when he looks at this is how much he loves us and how he's got an amazing plan for our lives. Anybody recognize that? Okay, that's where we start. Backwards, not forwards. Uh, and... Uh, Am I alright? So, um, uh, then what happens is, of course, Adam and Eve, whether you take this figuratively or literally, depending on your theology, 
uh, eat the fruit, choose to have knowledge rather than life, and the alienation is created between us and God. And the rest of history, all that's recounted in here of, uh, you know, sort of Abraham and through Moses and the prophets and the laws that the Jews had right through to Jesus, is God working to restore what he intended in the very first place. So I don't think we have gone soft on sin in City Church. I think we just start in the right place, which is that God loves us and got an amazing plan for our lives. And they spend the whole of history aiming to restore that. And that that life is available to us. And the warning here, and Jesus' warning. You notice Jesus only ever, and the Bible only really ever talks about sin to people who already know him. The warnings to the Israelites are to his people, the Israelites, that come through the prophets. Jesus speaking to his disciples when he warns about sheep and goats. And about servants who are faithful, who are not faithful. Paul is writing here to the Ephesians. I defy you to find an instance where Jesus meets somebody who already is actively exercising their faith and speaks to them of sin or of judgment. Ten lepers come to him for healing. He doesn't say, well, you know, tell me a bit about what you know about me and what you believe about me. He just heals them and blesses them, even though only one will come back and thank him. There was one or two other examples I thought might be. Yeah, Zacchaeus. It's the other one. Jesus went to him and said, Oh, come on, I'm coming to your house for tea. And went and had a tea party at his house. And then Zacchaeus, he says, Wow, I need to put my life right. But Jesus didn't come pointing the finger. So we are, we have life. If we know him, there's a little warning that says, Keep a hold of that. Remember what it was before. Keep a hold of it. Keep faithful. Keep showing mercy. Keep showing grace. You know, the, the one about the sheep and the goats is where Jesus is saying, if you've seen the hungry and you've fed them, seen the thirsty and you've given something to drink, you visit them in prison and so on, then you, know, you are the sheep and you'll be welcomed. If you haven't done those things, then you are the goats. So that's what he's saying to us. I've done page one of both talks so far. There are only two, by the way. Um, So what's the result of all that for us? The breeze is blowing my pages. So going into this part that Rachel read for us, the first result when we have the life of Jesus is that he is our peace. destroyed the barrier he has divided the wall of hostility between us and God when Jesus died it records in Matthew 27 that uh, the temple in the curtain was torn in two the temple in the curtain was in the Jewish temple in the middle of Jerusalem and there was this place right in the middle of the worship area called the Holy of Holies which is where the presence of God dwelt and nobody could go in there because the presence of God was so powerful that you would die And it was divided by, I think, was it a four-inch curtain or something like that? A big, thick curtain. 
Um, when Jesus died, that just split in two. And there was immediate access directly to God. It, it might have been four inches, but it was a thin veil between being separated from God and knowing God. And I do think, going back to that Nicosia example, and it was what it made me think going to Nicosia was, you know, we all live in this world alongside each other, whether we, are, whether we know Jesus or whether we don't. Uh, and, you know, there's these sort of two worlds. We, we've got the life of Jesus and the others around us that, that don't. And yet, we're all there, we're playing five-a-side together, we're going to work together, we're getting on the same trains and buses, driving along the same roads. Um, it's a really thin veil, and it's really difficult to perceive what's on the other side of it. <laughs> and yet, we have life and we have peace in Jesus. Whatever happens. So... Um, I know within the grief there is also laughter and reminiscence, but there's also peace. Jesus is your peace. Because he's destroyed the barrier. He's also brought peace between us. He has made us a family. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So we're citizens of God's people and we're members of his household, his family. So, I suppose, what I'm trying to say, (laughs) is there are these thin veils between the north and south of Nicosia. You know, in my younger days, I went across into the Soviet Union and there was, you know, a barrier between the West and the East. And the two worlds were completely different. And we had no idea. It was an eye-opener for me to go to Ukraine in 1980 and then Budapest in 81 and see the complete difference in culture and physical layout and infrastructure and so on. And yet it was so, the, the countries were so, so close. There's such a thin veil between God's people, the Israelites, going into the temple and the actual presence of God right in the center. And Jesus has broken that veil. We can enter in. There's a thin veil in, our, in, in, in the world between living in this world and being of this world and living in this world and being of God's kingdom where we have access to God and where we have life and where we have peace. And in that, we're called to live in his peace but also to be family and to love and to support. And we, are, as a church, we're good at this. And, and, and we're doing it now. And <laughs> we'll keep doing it. Because that's why Jesus died for us. And we have life. Neil has gone from life to life. We've moved from death to life. And that's what we have to offer the world. So when we speak to people on the streets or we come across on the turning, what's the first thing we say to them? I've just got two things really quickly to tell you. God loves you. And he's got an awesome plan for your life. We also say, if you were to die today, do you know for sure without a shadow of doubt that you would go straight to heaven? We know what Neil would have answered to that question on Thursday afternoon. And it's our answer too. And then we go on, if people respond positively to that, we just go on to show how God has saved them from the sin that blights our lives. My experience is, you don't need to tell people about that. 
They know where their weaknesses are. They know where their failures are. God is just offering out a hand, a free hand of love. So to those of us that know him, let's continue to hold on to that life. Let's continue to show mercy. Let's continue to love one another. Let's continue to live in his peace. And if you don't know him, God loves you. And he's got an awesome plan for your life. So the only thing I would just sort of say, just to close off, is um, if you're aware that God is offering you that and you don't know it, and you don't know what it is to have crossed through that thin veil into the kingdom of God and to know what life and eternal life and full life is all about, I've got a little thing to help me here to talk to you. <laughs> uh, but we'd love to talk to you and pray with you and just introduce you to the life of Jesus, which carries us through. It carries us into some amazing times and some amazing things. It also carries us through some really difficult times. And at the moment, you know, as a family, sorry, it's a difficult time and we're sad. But we have life and we're a family. And we know Jesus and we're going to hunker down together and we're going to love him and we're going to know his joy and we're going to know his peace. And if you don't know that, do talk to one of us because we'd love you to know that as well. Thank you. Amen.